Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. In today's show, we cover the five biggest news stories from the world of Formula One, which this week are varying types of discontent amongst the big three. Could that open the door for Aston? Bids are open to become F1's next tyre manufacturer. Alpine call for changes. And the F1 Academy lineup is complete. Goodman, and you're listening to the fantastic Cut to the Race podcast. Hello, my name is Ron Mylander, and you're listening to the Formula Birds podcast. Hi, I'm Rosanna Tennant, and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race podcast. Hi, I'm Jordan King, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Crofty. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go! Welcome to News from the Nerds, the midweek news show brought to you by the Formula Nerds. Once a week, we update you on everything you need to know from the world of F1. We are the Formula Nerds news team. Make sure you keep up to date with all the latest news by visiting our website at formulanerds.com. I'm your host, James McKenzie, and of course, I'm joined by Sam and Abby. How are you both? And I'm sorry I had to miss the race review. I'm very well, thank you, James. But yes, it's glad to have you back for the news show. We did miss you yesterday, but I hope you had a lovely time in the UK. It was it was hard work, lots of gigs, but yeah, it was it was fun. You poor thing. I mean, being oh. in the UK, actually, genuinely, yeah, you poor thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm glad you had fun. I'm glad you had a good time. Um, it's been all right here. Um, when Ollie won't be very pleased with me mentioning this, but when Ollie was introducing or reminding the audience of news from the nerds at the end of the podcast to show that you missed the Cuts the Race show for the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. He referred to the show as nudes from the nerds, which obviously is a, a very wow. different uh, <laughs> podcast. Um, we'd, we'd need video to begin with. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the only problem. That's all that that's holding the, us yeah, back. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing. Yeah, it'd be like calendar girls. Um, but yeah. So that was fun. Well... Let's move swiftly on, shall we? Yes. Uh, 
Well, speaking of the race uh, and nothing else, each of F1's traditional big three seemingly had something to complain about. We'll start with the obvious one, and that is, of course, Ferrari. Tough weekend for the Scuderia. Charles Leclerc performed great in qualifying, got second, but of course had to drop back because of their hangover in terms of engine issues from the first race. They ultimately found themselves behind the Mercedes by the chequered flag. Uh, Leclerc sounded pretty deflated in his post-race tweet. Uh, it's been a difficult start to the season for him. But team principal Frederick Vasseur is remaining a bit more bullish. He said, the most important thing in this kind of situation is to know where we're going well and what we're doing wrong. But we cannot bullshit ourselves. We have to change. We have to understand where we are wrong and we have to push. It's not good enough to speak. We will not be faster like this. For me, the picture is quite clear. The potential of the car is good, but it's not enough compared to Red Bull because we're not able to extract the maximum from the car every time. Do you agree with that? Do you think there's more potential in that car? I mean, apparently the drivers weren't complaining about anything. It just wasn't very quick. Yeah, I think they obviously have some reliability issues. We saw that last week and they changed the new power units in Leclerc and Science's car as well. And at the moment, I think one of the big things that didn't help them over the weekend was tyre management and they did suffer with that. I think science particularly suffered from it. But trying to get at the same level as Red Bull will be very difficult. That car is on another level. Trying to match Mercedes, I think, should be their goal because at the moment they've been beaten by both Mercedes in Saudi Arabia and Leclerc is now eighth in the championship behind Lance Stroll as well. Science is fourth, but it's still not where they want to be. I think they came into 2023 hoping for a championship fight, and at the moment they don't have that. So I do think they need to focus on what is going wrong, do a deeper dive and analysis of it to try and get more out of that car, because I do think there is more in that Ferrari. They just need to unlock it at the moment. Yeah, it's there's work to do. It's that that old adage of you know making a a slow car fast, you know, reliable slow car fast is more difficult than making a, a fast, unreliable car more reliable. Uh, sorry, almost almost lost myself there, but I think I managed to just about salvage it. <laughs> just about. I think when you're looking at the comparisons from the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix last year, the Red Bull was three tenths of a second quicker over one lap. The Mercedes four tenths of a second quicker over one lap. Obviously, they've got more work to do than uh then Red Bull to kind of you know find their ultimate pace. Uh but Ferrari were seven tenths of a second per lap slower than they were this time last year. Clearly something has gone amiss over the winter. Uh so they really need to kind of yeah pick up some some momentum and and pull their finger out a bit to be blunt. Yeah, it was a worrying weekend overall for them. I mean, I think people thought that they had more potential than they showed in Bahrain. And obviously it was, you know, Leclerc was fighting with Perez until he retired. So people thought maybe this one would actually lend itself to them more, but seemingly not. Uh, but yeah, at least Fred Fresser seems, yeah, he's a long way from throwing in the towel, as you'd hope after two races. Uh, but you touched on Mercedes. Uh, they had a slightly better weekend uh, than in Bahrain overall, but still clearly not where they want to be. Uh, and Toto Wolf has provided another update on their development plans this year. 
He said, if you look at the Red Bulls, they're just so quick. I think we understand the car more and I'm looking optimistically to the future. We just need to put it in a different window. We're changing the bodywork of the car, how the floor works, all of these things. Mechanically, we're looking at certain areas. The team in Brackley is just flat out. We headed in one direction last year and it got better, but now we realise it's a dead end. So we turned around and we are running fast out of that dead end. We can see them at the front. They're just far away at the moment. So maybe not totally giving up on this campaign after all. Yeah, I think they have definitely made steps forward from Bahrain. You could see that in the pace that the car had and the performance that both the drivers gave. Especially Lewis, he didn't have a great start to the race, but after the safety car restart when he came onto the mediums, he came more alive. And he didn't quite catch George, but he did still have a good race. But for him, he said that there's a specific design element of the W14 that he doesn't like and he's never had it on a car before and it's making him uncomfortable and not confident in attacking. And Toto said that the whole team is aware of this fundamental issue that Lewis isn't happy with. George seems to have settled more with the W14, seems to have got to grips with it more. So I think for them, George will continue going forward as we said on the race review he is Mr Consistent and he is proving that already this season for Lewis I think they need to adapt something to help him whatever that may be he didn't actually specify what this issue was um but they're making strides forward I'm happy to see they're on an upward trajectory hopefully the upgrades that they're going to bring in in a few races time will help them even more but at the same time they're still not reaching the front of the field in terms of Red Bull, but they are battling Ferrari and seeming to be ahead at this moment. So that is a positive. Yeah, I think really now their focus needs to be the Aston Martins. Um, they've yeah, seemingly fallen fallen back a bit there. Uh, the Aston Martins have pr- proved that they're going to be consistently quick across different types of track. We saw that over the first two weekends of the season. So yeah, they're pivoting away from the kind of now self-admittedly failed no pods concept or at least other stuff that's going on underneath and you know uh, on the bottom of the car as well they should see some more gains i think we you know a few of us have said a few times now that there's concerns that the original concept just didn't have a high enough ceiling it has felt like for a little while they've maxed out that that concept and taken it as far as it will go so at least they are pivoting away from that uh quickly and kind of yeah trying to arrest this slide back towards the midfield that we've seen over the last year or so yeah i mean it'll be a case now of how quickly they can adapt to a totally new design point it um but yeah even those dominant red bulls had some champagne problems to complain about quite literally uh verstappen is never happy in second of course and there was obviously some tension with the fastest lap at the end do you think there's trouble in paradise certainly a paradise in terms of a car uh tensions still simmering after the end of last season do you think the cracks will widen as the year goes on almost certainly and we we did cover this ever so slightly on the on the cut to the race Saudi Arabian race review show but when you are so far ahead the only competition you have is your teammate and I think that's what's making Red Bull particularly vulnerable at the moment and it will make them vulnerable when the field starts to close up as well because they'll have fractured even more than they already are at this stage uh, by that point so Sergio Perez is looking at this and he must be thinking, this is my one chance and I've still an outside chance at winning a title. 
And I yeah. don't think it's necessarily comparable to Hamilton Rosberg. I think it's a very different balance and dynamic between those two sets of teammates. But he is going to have to look at the the wider picture and say, I can't trust anyone in this team. I have to get in the car and fight for myself and only myself and not trust what I'm hearing over the radio. And I just need to, you know, I need to secure the fastest lap. I need to push as much as I can within reason because he showed over that race that he could have the measure of Max Verstappen when he needed to. But it was just some of the kind of back and forth was very unclear as to whether or not um, Verstappen was ignoring team orders or if the team were withholding information from Perez in order to close that gap. Ultimately, only Red Bull know. But yeah, there's more to, to, to come from this for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying it's, it's of course a totally different dynamic to uh, to Hamilton Rosberg, but there there are similar traits. And yeah, when you're seemingly in a two car battle for the championship, it's very early to say that. But yeah, the difference between the two teammates is is negligible points wise from weekend to weekend, and that makes it easier for you know we saw that in 2016 where a couple of retirements for Lewis. Yeah, I mean, Nico was great that year, but equally he needed the luck on his side. But the fact is, you know, where last year, maybe if Sergio had not quite as good a weekend, he's going to be 15 points behind Max from that weekend. Now he's probably going to be seven. And then if Max has a couple more issues, yeah, Checo finds himself suddenly maybe in the championship lead. Yeah, I think in the prediction show before the season, I predicted that Perez would leave and... I still feel like that might happen, but not because he won't be able to compete with Max, but because he will. Because like you said, Sam, when they're so far ahead, the only person that they can battle against who's on an equal playing field is their teammate. And we saw it in Brazil last year and we saw it over the weekend. And with the fastest lap thing, I think Racing News 365 released the transcript of the radio to Max and Perez. And they, it looked like they were both told the same thing and Max just ignored what his engineer was saying. And then Red Bull said, we're not concerned about the fastest lap at the moment. And he said, yeah, but I am. So for Max, it is all about being number one. I mean, he sat in the, win, the winning driver's chair in the cool down room even though he didn't win the race. And Horner said, there was no reason for us to let either Max or Checo have a crack at it. But it's it seems unfair because Checo seems to think that he was getting different information to what Max was. And when it comes down to that, it should be, it should be equal and they should receive the same information. But Max Verstappen is Max Verstappen at the end of the day and he's in this to win the races for himself and get another championship but I think things will definitely heat up more throughout the season if Max and Perez can keep fighting and battling each other like they have been so far well that's the thing Verstappen was clearly irked by the reliability issues and that's because they it's just the two of them out front so reliability issues are that much more concentrated against your teammate when you have no other external competition. And yeah, Verstappen sitting in the uh in the winner's chair. First first case we're seeing of mind games between between the two of them this year. We saw plenty of that with the Rosberg Hamilton rivalry. So uh, yeah, yeah, I want again, someone throwing cap. 
yeah, caps and you know, kind of you know, everything. You, 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 I'm sure we'll see it. I'm sure we'll see it again, kind of you know, real tense. Maybe, uh, maybe we'll get someone to smash a glass of water in a press conference. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> not that that was Hamilton Rosberg, that was Weber, uh, Vettel, but also I think on the fastest lap thing. They say they don't want to get into it or they don't want to take stances, but I'm pretty sure at that time, I think it was Perez had the fastest lap. So by saying we don't want to get into this, you are actually are taking a stance because one of them already has it. If you'll say, you know, Zhou Guan Yu, like in Bahrain, who had the fastest lap or who ended up with the fastest lap, then fine. It's, you know, neither of you have it. But if one of you has it and you're saying, let's leave it, you know, it's all kind of, you know, it gets a bit kind of they have to take a stance one way or the other and they need to kind of manage that situation yeah it's it's always so much more complicated in these inter-team championship battles uh but yeah and these kind of things uh what can maybe let someone else in and there's a team who could benefit from these problems for the big three so yes and that team at the moment it looks to be aston martin they seem best positioned. And actually, Max Verstappen will know a lot about this. Let's face it, his first win was in F1 was inherited by an inter-team battle that went wrong at the 2016 Spanish Grand Prix. And so Fernando Alonso has come out and been very positive about uh, the performance of the Aston Martin following the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. He's pointed out that actually that they are looking legitimately like the second quickest team. And he's he's come and said, come out and said, for me the most important thing was the car was so strong because we were the second fastest car. We were well ahead of Ferrari. We were controlling Mercedes. I opened seven or eight seconds to George Russell, obviously, in the first stint and five at the end, which could have been ten. We could open five, 15 to 20 seconds with Mercedes and more than half a minute's Ferraris, which is unthinkable uh, on Thursday when we came here. And he also points out the fact that they had better tyre deg than the others in Bahrain. So he really is zeroing in on those teams around them, Mercedes and Ferraris. Do you think that this is a legitimate pace that we'll see throughout the season? Have they made that step? Or is it just a couple of tracks that have suited them and Mercedes and Ferrari kind of needing to sort out some gremlins? I think it is legitimate. I think, obviously, Bahrain is very abrasive on the tyres. It is a very unique circuit, but so is Saudi. They're completely different. And I think to know for certain, we'll have to see how they perform in at Melbourne, give it a few more races. But they are, like Alonso said, looking like the second fastest car. Mercedes are ahead of Ferrari at the moment and Aston Martin are ahead of Mercedes. They're not reaching Red Bull, but throughout that race, once Alonso got into P3, he had quite a lonely race, I think, because Russell wasn't able to catch him and Alonso wasn't able to catch Max. But he managed to keep that pace. He managed to control his tyres and keep a cool head and just focus on it. And it is really good to see because even Stroll is performing well. He's ahead of Leclerc in the championship, just behind Russell, by not that many points, actually. And it is good to see. And I think Aston can be definite title contenders this year, I think. Big words. Think they'll take it to Red Bull? I think they could, potentially. In the drivers with Alonso, I think it could be close. Constructors, I think Mercedes would be the best challenge for Red Bull because George and Lewis are both consistent and it is about having the two drivers continue to get more points. But I think Aston Martin will be up there. 
Drivers is a fair, interesting, but fair shout. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to touch Red Bull constructors-wise. But yeah, certainly if they take points off each other and we get a bit of, yeah, Spain 2016 and a bit of Mark and uh, Mark and Seb in the Red Bull camp, then Fernando could just... Exactly. And there's, there's some nuance to that where I think that Rosberg had more to lose than Perez did in that position in 2016 because Rosberg could legitimately over a season fight with Hamilton. We'd seen it in 2014 when the title went down to the final race. And so Perez hasn't really got anything to lose. And we know that Max Verstappen gives no inch. So you're going to have two drivers that are just going to go, you know what, if we crash, we crash. Like I'm I'm going to be, I'm going to play chicken yeah. here. So I think actually there's a higher potential for those type of incidents with these two drivers than than we've seen previously, which is where Alonso seemingly is going to mop up some wins if that does happen. But speaking of Red Bull and also Mercedes that we covered just a moment before, Fernando Alonso's fighting talk hasn't stopped with uh, with the pace of the Aston Martin. He's also fought back at comments from both Red Bull and Mercedes uh, for taking partial credit for the success of the Aston Martin AMR 23. So as we know, uh, there have been comparisons drawn with the look of um, the the Aston Martin. It's not the first time that that has happened for that team in various guises. And Christian Horner has pointed out the similarity to last year's uh, Red Bull, uh, saying that imitation is the biggest form of flattery and it's good to see the old car going so well. And there are obviously jokes after the Bahrain Grand Prix about having three Red Bull drivers on the podium. Also, Toto Wolf um, has wanted to get in on the action as well. Uh, and this one's maybe a little bit more um, of a stretch. He's essentially said that half their car is is theirs because obviously Mercedes supply Aston Martin, the power unit, gearbox and access to the wind tunnel. Uh, and he points out that they gained two seconds in six months. Um, Alonso has refused these claims, saying there's definitely something wrong with those theories, particularly Mercedes because the zero pod concept is so different from the Aston Martin and he's also kind of come and said that the concepts for both Red Bull and Mercedes couldn't be more different from the Aston Martin just look at the car they do actually look quite different uh, or words to that effect so yeah we're already seeing a little bit of the the big guys being a bit you know kind of um, rubbed up the wrong way by the success of the success of this Aston Martin yeah, I think it does come down to like playing mind games with their rivals because obviously Aston have had this promise of a championship or a competitive package for so long now. But I don't think people expected it to come this year. I think lots of people expected it to come in a few seasons time. So I do think they are threatened by how well Aston are doing with both drivers, Alonso on the podium twice and Stroll in the top 10, obviously after retiring. Um, but yeah, I think it's just mind games to their rivals. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, another bit of news is also about the tyre manufacturer for Formula One. Obviously, at the moment, it is Pirelli who have held the contract since 2011. But the tender for the single supply of tyres for the 2025, 26 and 27 seasons is now open. FIA have opened the applications and the decision will be made in mid-June. But the new contract for the tyres will be that it will focus more on sustainability. Obviously, F1 are trying to be net zero carbon by 2030. So having this new tyre contract will play a massive part in that. And anyone who applies, any potential supplier will have to provide an analysis of the environmental impact of the tyres, obviously folding their sustainability thing. But they are working to ensure a wide working range, minimise overheating and have low degradation. Obviously, lots of different manufacturers are potentials for this, including Bridgestone and Pirelli. But it is likely that Pirelli will renew the contract, considering that they are now supplying F2 and F3 with the tyres as well. I'd like to see someone else get a go. It's been a long time with Pirelli now. Uh, you know, I feel like they've they've ironed out the issues, certainly. You know, there, there was a lot of drama around Pirelli for a while. And now it's all gone a bit quiet. I mean, people obviously still kind of want more from the tyres, want the drivers to be able to push, but it's always been a an impossible task to make everyone happy in that sense. But yeah, no, I, I don't know. I think it would just mix things up a bit. I think it'd be great. But yeah, it doesn't look that likely, sadly. I feel really ridiculous breaking the hive mind over something as trivial as the tyre tender. Uh, but <laughs> I think Peretti have kind of earned it over the last few years. They've taken on feedback. They've improved the tyres where the teams have asked them to. And they're actually, it's not really a talking point anymore, which I think is a good thing. So, yeah, I think it'd be, un- uh, I'd be surprised if, if a different team were to win the the contract. Um, a different team, sorry, a different <laughs> tyre manufacturer not team uh tired team um the one thing is i'm always kind of on the fence of is whether or not we want a tire war whether or not that would add anything to the sport or in fact would it actually detract from the sport uh so yeah uh, but i think pretty have done a good job i'm and i'm pretty sure that it's a, a tender for the sole tire supplier there's an option for 2028 as well so it could be for you know towards the end of the decade, uh, at least. But interesting to see Bridgestone in the mix. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I see what you mean with them having iron tit. Uh, yeah, I just, I don't know, I just like to mix it up. What do you think, Abby? I think, on the fence, it would be good to like mix it up, have something new. But at the same time, Pirelli have done an amazing job. I think, obviously, they brought in the new 18-inch tyres recently, and with F2 as well. It... I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens, but I do think Pirelli will probably be the likely candidate for renewing the contract. Yeah, and that's that's what I mean. They've invested so much in you know changing this you know this, the size of the size and doing all, all of that research with F one, and also they've made huge strides when it comes to sustainability, which is obviously a linchpin of the next contract. So. Yeah, I think I, I do think it would be bizarre if F1 then decided to go a different path with it. Um, but, you know, sometimes the, the tyre tread 
the time. No, no, I'm not even going to try that. I was going to try and make a. No, I was going. <laughs> I was going to uh, try and make a kind of you know a, a two path. The tire treads the better path, or something. yeah, something like that. Like <laughs> you know, uh, is it is it Robert Frost uh, the part that poem? Uh, but yeah, anyway, we'll move on, and you'll cut this out of the edit. Won't you, James? Oh, I will not. <laughs> <laughs> Save your poetry for later. Well, some technical changes that could be happening sooner than that involve the grid boxes. Alpine Sporting Director Alan Permain has called for a rethink over the grid box rules that caught out his driver Esteban Ocon in Bahrain and then Alonso in Saudi Arabia. In both cases, the drivers were deemed to have placed their cars too far to one side of their boxes at the start and subsequently received penalties. Decisions by the stewards were based on an addition to the FIA sporting regulations introduced for this year, which says that a car must be stationary at its allocated grid box with no part of the contact patch of its front tyres outside of the lines, front and sides at the time of the start signal. The problem that the drivers have is that they've limited visibility as they approach their grid spots. And Permain pointed out, no one is getting an advantage from being 10 centimetres over on one side or the other, and they're free to paint the grid boxes as wide as they want. There doesn't seem to be regulation for that. I don't know if that will be reviewed, but giving people penalties for having their wheels over in a car where the drivers can't see those lines, they can see them as they come up, and then as they get close to them, they just disappear. It feels harsh. It feels unnecessary. Do you agree? I do. I'm feeling very validated as well because Ollie kind of waved away and laughed off my suggestion that the visibility of uh, the larger tyres and the wheel covers is a factor here in these penalties becoming oh, absolutely more, yeah. more apparent over the, you know, the early start of the season. Uh, so yeah, I'm feeling quite validated. And yeah, I do agree. I think it's not so much of an issue but I think in Saudi Arabia, particularly, the the grid box looked quite narrow. So maybe just extend the the size of the grid boxes and leave the rules as they are. Aside from that, maybe that's the solution. Yeah, I agree. I mean, F two driver Ollie Behrman said that one big difference from F two F two and F three is that F two obviously have the eighteen inch tires, and it is a lot more difficult to see. And I mean, I find it difficult when they do the helmet cam, just trying to see what's in front of you, let alone what's in front of you and on the ground to the right and the left of you. So you're going to get drivers who don't always put their car directly in between the lines. I think the main thing is if you put it too much, too further forward, that's a bigger thing. But doing it to the left, to the right, just by a few centimetres isn't that big of an issue. I do agree with Pemaine on that. And also, an extension of your point, Abby, it's not like they've pointed the car towards the other side of the grid, which exactly. we've seen in the past in F1. So, yeah, yeah, it's really kind of minor in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, it seems like a an easy fix yeah, compared to some things that F1 have to try and navigate. Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, anyone who's been in their own car will know that you know you you've positioned you think you've parked yourself right and then you get out and you're over the line or you're i mean obviously not us because we're f1 fans and we park perfectly but yeah i mean so you can only imagine how difficult it is like abby said it's it's difficult enough to see in front of you uh so hopefully yeah that will be a nice easy fix and they can just draw, draw the lines to the edge of the track a bit yeah further out and and that'll be that 
And finally, our last piece of news for today is that the F1 Academy grid has been confirmed. They announced their 15th and final driver this week with Marta Garcia. So all drivers have been confirmed. The championship starts in less than a month. So I'm just going to run through all the drivers because there have been some announcements that we haven't covered. And I know it hasn't started yet, but it is still interesting to hear. So for ART Grand Prix, we have Lena Bula, Carrie Schreiner and Chloe Grant. Campus Racing have Norea Marti, a former W Series driver, Lola Lovinfoss and Maite Caceres. We have MP Motorsport having Emily the Hoose and the sisters, Amna Alcabesi and Hamza Alcabesi as well. Prima have Bianca Bustamante, Marta Garcia, both former W Series drivers, and also Chloe Chong. And Rodin Carling have Jessica Edgar, Megan Gilks, and Abby Pulling. So the championship is definitely getting sorted. Less than a month. I'm very excited to see what happens and how all these young women start in their careers or start developing in their careers. Yeah, I, th- I think it's really stacked grid in terms of talent. It's exciting, uh, you know, particularly you know Garcia got to be in the title battle with with pulling. You'd expect and kind of you know you've got uh, Cl- you know Chloe Grant as well, uh, a, a home another home hopeful um, if you're UK based. Um, so yeah, it's it's exciting, and I think what's what's great is that you've got five very strong feeder teams that. Uh, you know, are very prevalent in F2 and F3. So you, the, the the drivers are able to build the connections there uh, as well. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's going to be an exciting season. I definitely think so. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, and also for the record, Abby, I could listen to you pronounce those names all day long. I was going to say, I was flawless. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely flawless. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, but I think we'll have to leave it there. Uh, I would like to keep talking about uh, F1 Academy, but it's, it won't be long until we're talking about some actual races, which will be great. And we've run out of time for this week. Uh, so thank you for listening. Be sure to head over to FormulaNerds.com and all the Formula Nerds socials to find out the latest on these and any other stories. And yeah, we'll be back very soon. Thank you too for joining me. Thank you very much for having us. Um... I'm pretty swell that I'm saved by the bell. I don't have to try and rhyme Mackenzie with frenzy or anything like that. So we'll save the poetry till next week. No words. No words at all. So I'll just say it's lights out, mics up, and away we go. Until then, bye-bye. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go. Podcast Network.